0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com
1: All right, so first off, I'd like to thank the uh, like Agada for uh, bringing me in to be able to spread the message that we've been going around with, that we've been trying to uh, spread to Qal Yisrael, and I think it's an important one, not only because of what it within itself represents but also because of the idea of who we are as a people. Who we are as a people... Sorry, I'm going to have to mention her. I met Nick just walked in the room. Hey, saw him around. Um, We as a people have become... Sorry to use this term, but we've become Fat. And I don't mean that in the physical term, although I probably could, but I don't mean that in the physical term. I mean that in the spoiled term. We've become fat. We've become lazy. We've become ready. Across the Jewish world right now, there isn't an organization, there isn't a problem in the Jewish world that we have not built an organization to be able to solve that problem. And this is beautiful, this is amazing. But we lost something through doing this. Khalil, I'm not here to speak against organizations. They're our backbone, they're what we do. But for the common man, if there's such a thing as a common Jew, we've lost something because of this. The Mishnah and Avot says that there are a few different personality types there's Shalach Shali, Vishali Shali. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine. We call that a Rasha. Shali Shalach, Vishalach Shalach. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is yours. We call that a Tzaddik. And they go through all the different personality types, and the Mafarshim over there explain what these personality types are. But they basically sum up as Tzaddik, Rasha, and Beinoni. Tzaddik, Rasha, and Beinoni. But then there's a little Yeshaimrim. There's a little Yeshaimrim that says, "The midah of Shali Shali, what's mine is mine, Vishalach Shalach, and what's yours is yours." Yeah, that's Beinoni. Yeah, that's Beinoni. But Yeshayimrim that that's midat sedom. Now you have to understand something over here. A Rasha can work on himself. A rush is a me that you can change. A tzaddik, if he doesn't keep up, his game will fall. These fluctuate. These are battles that we have. Saddam? Saddam was given a chance, but they were wiped off the face of the earth. They were a cancer. They had to be cut out. They were so bad. But now, what's so bad about that? I'm minding my own business. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not bothering my neighbor. I'm not involved. I'm not helping, but I'm not not involved. Their business is their business. My business is my business. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. And we're all good. Everything could be okay. What's so wrong about that? As parents, we become so afraid of the detriment. we become so afraid of of, of kids going off this thing that we like to hold on to called the derech. We're so afraid of leaving children, whatever it is that we're afraid of, that we've gotten to this place that as long as no one's harming anyone, okay, just don't do any harm. And when I see something wrong, If I'm a really good person, I'm going to notify an organization to take care of that. I'm going to get on the phone. I know all the numbers. I have them on my refrigerator. I'm going to get on that phone, and I'm going to call that organization. But for me to get involved... It's it's not my business. I shouldn't... The only time that we're involved in other people is when we're talking about them. Then we're experts. (laughs) As long as they're not there, we're experts. Talking about me here. <laughs> we have to learn. We have to understand the power that each of us has. There's a medrash in Bereshus Rabbah that says one of the most unbelievable things. Rabbi Berkowitz quotes this medrash. Like Berkowitz quotes this medrash all the time. He has a pet peeve. When a person says, What do you want from me? I'm only human. It, it drives him crazy. He always says, you're only human? You have any idea what a human being is? How dare you say I'm only human? The Medrash, the, the Medrash and Baratheon Rabbah says that when Adam was created, the Malachim sang Shira. They felt the Rabbanu Sholeil and created and Adon Lamata... They thought this was another. If we could possibly say this, they thought this, this is Robbins not me. They thought there was another. They started singing Shira to him. That's how great we are. But I'm only human. Right? We've become so fat with this idea. We've become so passive. What happened to our passion? What happened to us as a people when we used to bleed for each other? When did that leave? When did the favor that we do for someone is make a phone call? When did that happen? When is making a phone call the thing? Someone calls you and is pouring out their heart to you. And I do this all the time. I'm more guilty of it, I promise you, than anyone in here. Someone calls you, they're pouring out their heart their heart and you listen for a minute, and then you say, listen, here's the number to this organization. Maybe give them a call. Where does this idea come from? What happened? We lost it at some point. What happened? I believe what happened is that we stopped believing in the power of me. We stopped taking responsibility not because we're bad, Khalilah. We're the Aman Nivchar. We're the greatest thing that has ever been created. There's no running away from that. We are the greatest thing ever. That there's no running away from. But we stopped realizing it. We started thinking that whoever it was that was standing by Harsinai, whoever it was in the Midbar, whoever it was that was in Nazi Germany, those were the Yiddin. Nowadays, I'm oh, not such a big deal. We have to realize what this does. The horrific effect this has. One of my jobs, I work with teenagers. I work in a, in a high school. I work with teenagers across a spectrum. I work in a high school that has uh, um, boys learning, great kids. I work with teenagers that unfortunately don't have a high school and much of our parents this may aren't learning, <laughs> but still great kids. Anytime I see a guy who says to me, I, I, don't, I don't like a stance, he says, I, I don't wear tefillin. That's just not what I, I don't, I don't wear tefillin. I say, really? <laughs> you make it sound like you made a decision not to wear tefillin. You didn't make that decision. You just don't wear tefillin. You know why you don't wear tefillin? This is key. If you have a teenager or you're around a teenager, this is key to understand. If our sons or daughters do not behave in the way that we want, if they don't connect to their rabbinu shalom in the way that we want, we have to understand something. It does not come from a logical place. It does not come from because they don't believe or they don't think it's important. It comes from the fact that they don't think they're important. The rabbi Shalom does not want to speak to me. So I don't put on my tefillin. You tell me that by putting on my tefillin, I'm standing that much closer to Hashem? He doesn't want me there. Trust me, I'm a bad person. He doesn't want me that close. And then what do we do? We force him. You have to put it on. Now he's just embarrassed in front of you and Hashem. It comes from such a beautiful place. It comes from such a place of deep emuna. Hashem is so amazing and I'm so nothing. I don't want to put on my tefillin. I don't want to stand in front of the rabbinous shalel. This past semchat Torah, I had the honor of being in Los Angeles by my, uh, my brother, Ramari Ben I thought a couple of people were going to leave then also thinking I was him until right now. Um, and we went to a shul, a Rav Levhar shul, Avot. It's a Sephardic shul, a Moroccan shul. And if there's one time a year you want to choose to be at a Moroccan shul, it's Simchat Torah. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And we're there and we're dancing and, and it's it was It was beautiful. And we're dancing and we're dancing and we're dancing. I've... I said this story to my wife and my brothers a few times and I still can't get through it. You feel maybe you'll get desensitized, but no. And I'm dancing, we're dancing, and I see these two beautiful neshamot come into the back of the shul. These two guys, they looked Israeli, maybe in their early 20s. They come into the back, they sit down, and I see they're a little bit uncomfortable, but I saw no rabbi, no, no one pulled them in. They walked in of their own volition. And so I go up to them, I say, Guys, it's that time. Everybody's getting aliyah. Everyone's getting aliyah to the Torah. Come on. Everyone's getting it. And one of them's looking a little sheepishly down. He's like, No. Nah, yeah. And the other one adamantly refuses. <clears throat> I say, Okay, here we go. This is the job. This is what we do. Rav Levhar brought me into his shul gave me a place to daven, gave me a place to speak, gave me a place to do everything on Simchat Torah, gave me back my rock and heritage on Simchat Torah that I still own till today. I'm going to get these guys up there to, to get an aliyah. So I said to him, come on guys, get up there. Everyone's doing it. And one of them starting to be convinced, the other one, he just keeps going, he's not even speaking, just, no, 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 no. I'm like, come on. So I said to him, I'm like, come on, we'll, What's the? Now you have to understand. This is one Moroccan speaking to another Moroccan. We don't coddle, really. We just start to yell about each other's grandmother is crying in the grave. It's it's it, there's a lot of emotions being thrown around. So I said to him, "Come on, you know what your grandfather is thinking back in Morocco." And he's like, "No no 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 You don't start pulling out my grandfather right now. This is not this is not a game. I will fight you." And I'm like, "Come on." I'm like, give me one reason I'll leave you alone. Give me one real reason. See, I've been working with boys for so long, I'm ready for the God talk. I'm ready for the I don't believe, I'm really not here for that, I heard there was going to be food, where's the alcohol? I I was ready for all that conversation. I wasn't ready for this guy's A-bomb that he dropped on me. He looks me in the eyes. And he says, I can't. I'm not allowed. And then I start to think to myself, well, I am in L.A. right now. For all I know, I don't even know, you know who this guy is. Maybe he's not Jewish, really. Maybe he's not. I, I. And then I started backing off. I'm like, you got yourself into a deep one over here. What if you really inspire him to get an Aliyah now? Then he says, by the way, my mother is not Jewish. And you're like, oh. Remember that thing I was talking to you about, about getting a Leah? Everyone's doing it. It's overrated. Go ahead. Go outside. Well, what am I supposed to do to back out? So I sheepishly start walking backwards, and I, I don't want to look like an idiot. So I'm like, yeah, one reason. Just give me one. He says, no, I can't. I, I drove here. And I stopped. I'm like, what? And he goes, I drove here. on Chag. I drove here. I drove here. Oh, Ty, I swear to you, you had to see this guy's face. You had to see how heartbroken he was. You had to see how badly it pained him. He said, I drove here. I can't. I can't get an aliyah. I'm not allowed to. I'm a Khalil Shabbat. And now it was my turn. And I looked at him and I said, you drove here? He looks down and he says, yeah. I said, you drove here? He said, yeah. I said, you drove to a Beit Knesset? On Hog? I said, yeah. I said, are you crazy? Do you not know where the beach is? Do you, you're in L.A. Do you know how many places you could have went today? And you chose to drive Here? If we would have known, you would have gotten before me and the rest of the rabbis. You wanted to do it so bad. You drove here to do it. He looked me in the eyes. He jumped up. He shoved me to the side. He went running up. He grabbed the talit. He threw it on like a professional. He was a sleeper in the crowd, I'm telling you. This guy's done this a thousand times. He got up there. I've heard big rabbis make a a bracha on the Torah. I never heard one like that. It still echoes in my head. He felt like he was nothing. Because that's how we made him feel. We don't realize the power that's inside of us. We don't realize what we're able to do for the people next to us. Yet we sit and we wait. Hashem did not put that neighbor who's having that kid struggling next door to you for you to call me. Maybe he did. Maybe that is why. I don't know. am speaking for Hashem here. But if the amount of parents that I have to talk to on a daily basis had one neighbor that wouldn't come up to them and give them a phone number of someone to call, that wouldn't come up to them and say to them, I see we we'll just come up to them and say, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do? I don't know if there is or isn't, but is there anything I can do? And if you're, if you're too shy to do that, invite them over for Shabbos. Make a real relationship. Don't try to save them. Just be connected to them. There's something they can see in you that they haven't seen before. You know how many might tell me them I've come to my Shabbos table and are amazed that I'm awake the entire time? They're like, what so this is what they mean by a Shabbos table? I thought Shabbos table was my father goes with his friends somewhere after Dominic comes home drunk, you know, eats a little bit of thing, passes out, and that's Shabbos. I thought that's what I didn't know what everyone was all involved about. I didn't know what everyone was so happy about. This is it. You don't have to do anything, you don't need a PhD. You don't need... We've been lied to. You don't need to give advice. Dafka. don't give advice. Just listen. You don't need a PhD to listen to another yid. The power of one person. What we put out into the world, we feel is worthless and we're so wrong. It's the greatest trick the Sutton ever pulled. He didn't have to cause a holocaust. He didn't have to send kids off to death. All he needed to do was convince every individual Jew that we're nothing and that we can't make a difference. However much logic and history have proved us wrong. Every great thing that has ever happened in the Jewish nation started with one. We're here for stories, so I'm going to give them. But we have to understand that whatever's in, the, the, the example used is an orange. If you squeeze an orange, no matter what you want, orange juice is coming out of it. No matter what you want from inside of there, orange juice is always going to come out. You can want milk, you can want lemon juice, you can want grapefruit juice. Orange juice is coming out. I just heard this from someone and I loved it. If what's inside of you, is I'm worthless. If what's inside of you is I have nothing to give, then when you get squeezed, when you're in pain, when you see your neighbor hurting, all that's gonna come out is nothing. But if you actually start to believe I can make a difference, then the Rabundish gets to use you as a conduit, he gets to use you to help other people, he gets to let use you to raise people up. We need to start taking responsibility for our neighbors, for ourselves. What do we put out into the world when we feel like nothing? We put nothing out into the world. But when we feel that we can make a difference because the Rebunished Shalom chose me to be part of the Aman Nivchar, the greatest people to have ever lived, you're not an accident. He wasn't talking about our ancestors. He was talking about us nowadays. When Rav Avram Kalmanovich went to Morocco, in the 50s. He didn't know what was going to happen. He went because he knew. He had a calling. He had to go save. They told him he was crazy. Why are you going out to Morocco? Who knows anything about Morocco? But if he wouldn't have brought a 13-year-old, Yitzhak Ben Shushan, over to America by himself with no family, not to see them again until he was in his 20s, not to have his mother... By his chasina. if he was not going to bring him over, my whole family wouldn't be here. If Rabbi Eli Freilach wouldn't have took upon the call to stand in front of public schools and ask every white kid to walk out, are you Jewish? Are you? You, you think that's that's not embarrassing? You get arrested for something like that. Are you Jewish? 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 Come, let's learn. And that's how we started the famous Ezra Academy. He's here. It's my father right there. It's it's incredible what one person can do. It's even greater what one Jew can do. I want to end with one story, and this is a new one. I stumbled on this one. was, I would like to say, by sheer luck. But we know there's no such thing. The Rubenish Island straight up handed me this one. But it's so big, I honestly am humbled to say it, and I don't deserve it. But I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Because, (laughs) Because why not? So... He was a little boy. His name was Shimon. My name is Yossi. In case you thought that story was ending with, I'm that little boy. It's not. It's not. It's not, it's not me. me see
0: right
1: here. It's not me. Shimon was a little three-year-old boy who moved, to, who moved to the United States from Uzbekistan with his family. When they came over, they knew they were Jewish. They realized they were Jewish, but that's where it ended. Shimon knew nothing about his heritage, about his background. Nothing. To the point that he told me one time he bought his mother. He had a few dollars in his pocket. He was in a store. And he wanted to buy his mother something. And he bought her a cross. He bought her a cross necklace. That's how far removed they were. And he came... He brought, he gave it home, and he said he remembers. His mother looked at it, first in shock, and she laughed. She threw it to the side, and she said, thank you so much, sweetie. He went to a public school, PS 201 in Queens, and as he was getting older, his parents started realizing that everything was being lost. Their child knew nothing about their heritage. So, a few rabbis got involved. He started going to Jep. Rabbi Zalman Deutscher started really, really putting the pressure on him. And he got Shemin. he pulled him out of public school, and he sent him to yeshiva. Now, I want to tell you something. I've been a Kirin for many years. Rachokim, Krovim, all of it. When you get a kid, you pull a kid out of a public school, and you put him into a you put him into a yeshiva, that's, that's, there's, there's no drug on earth, there is no drug on earth that will give you a high like that, knowing that you just saved the kid's life. But these stories don't end, they keep going. Because for high school, Shimon went back to public school. Now I'm sure there was a moment over there, speaking to you as a person who lost some, won some, when he went back to public school, there was definitely, I don't know this as a fact, but there was definitely a moment over there where Rav Deitcher said to himself, I lost this one. He definitely had to question himself at that point. We don't realize the power we have. Rav Deitcher did not stop. He kept going and kept going and kept going. He kept pressuring Shimon, kept pressuring his parents, kept pulling him into Jeb, kept pulling him in for everything he could. And slowly but surely, because that's how these things really work. I don't care what book or story you've read. I don't care if I wrote it. (laughs) These stories happen very slowly. You don't see. You don't see the fruits of your labor right away. And slowly but surely, slowly but surely, Shimon started coming around and coming around and coming around. And finally, Shimon himself started doing Kirov. He was Makarov's younger brother. Ruvain, his parents. He had an uncle that was very avidly involved in his Kirov process. And Shimon grew up. Today, he has a beautiful family. He has beautiful children, beautiful nieces and nephews. Shimon's name is Shimon Koliakov. Ah. Not such a good ending. Who's Shimon Koyako Every single person in this room is part of this story right now. Shimon Kol not here. Ruven is. That camera belongs to them. Because they started a little website a few years ago called TorahAnytime.com and have affected hundreds of thousands of of Jews entire. Rabbi Deutscher could have slept in that day saying, that's not my problem. That kid wants to go back to public school, let him. His parents don't see the value, let him. We have no right to give up on any one kid just because he spit us in the face, just because he went back to his old ways. Stories don't happen overnight. They take lifetimes. And we're honored to be a part of those. When our neighbor is suffering, we stand up as one individual and we could fail. You have no idea what failure is. We have no clue how to measure failure. All we know is that we put our best in. It's not honest to finish it. We work for him. He runs the world. We're pawns for him. We're soldiers for him. It's not for our glory. It's not so they write that book about us one day. It's because we're great. And if we don't believe it, no one else will feel it. When we hurt, we don't cry hand a phone number and walk away. When we hurt, we get involved. We get involved for the long run. We don't just cook at dinner and walk away. We get involved for the long run. Turn to your neighbor. Invite him for a Shabbos. Invite him for anything. But embrace him. Take that responsibility. The of One made us as Jews and it wasn't an accident. Thank you very much for coming. Ah, beautiful. beautiful.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. Is this the mic for outside? Or is this the mic for inside? Ruve. This is for here or this is for for you? Let's say this is speaker or there's no speaker. This is for you. All right, thank you very much. Um, hmm, we got a beam in the way here, so I see everyone's trying to turn their necks. Um, move it over. Oh, yeah. So, first of all, thank you very much because I think the most important point of this whole Shabbos of the whole of the whole convention is uh, the meaning of one. And everyone's thinking about Moshe Abenu, and Avraham Avinu, and Sari Aimeinu, and I think what the rabbi pointed out was very, very important, that we, we're talking about in our day and age, uh, I happen to be very, very close to Rabbi Freyla, who's here, and um, sent over 30 years, my eighth grade boys from Heights Yeshiva Mill Basin, who were totally not religious, to, um, to his yeshiva, and... Um, Many of them actually became Rabbeinim themselves, so it's a very big COVID to be in the same room with Rabbi Freilich, and uh, the Koliakos, um Ruven and, and, um, and, and Shimon, both of them, I'm very close to. I was started with them pretty much in the beginning of Torah Anytime, and I had the privilege of, um, of Shimon's, I think his oldest son or one of his sons, to be named after me. He's actually named as Zachariah. And um, I'm happy there's spared them because Ashkenazim would not have worked out that well. <laughs> but to actually be by the bris and have your name given is uh, was a very, very big chus. And it's it's amazing the Torah that right now in this room you think there's only about a hundred people, but right now on Torah any time there's a thousand. So there are a thousand people in this room listening to the shiurim. That's the that's the of. Um, of TorahAnytime.com, and thank you very much, Torah Anytime. So, I want to start off with the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Mishnah was written by Rabbi Akiva, who knew the power of one. Who <speaking in> ha <Hebrew> Rabbi Akiva said, "Chaviv <speaking in Hebrew> Adam, a person is loved by Hashem." Shinivra <speaking in Hebrew> b'tzalim because we were created in His image. I talk about this a lot. Extra love Hashem showed us. That He told us that we are created in His image. So, when I ask parents, do you tell your child that you love them? They're like, no, she knows. He knows that she knows. She knows, I know. But the Mishnah here says very clearly that to show extra love to someone, you have to express it. Husband and wife, children, teacher, child, in order to say, I, they know, they know I love them, is not enough. Yisera, <laughs> like, to really love someone, you need to tell them, it's sort of, you put millions of dollars in a poor man's bank, and you don't tell him it's there. So he's going around, and he's begging, and he's eating scraps. He doesn't know that he he has the money. So Keshachot told us that we're all created. Everyone in this room, everybody in this room, every human being, not only every Jew, every human being is created in the image of God. What does that mean? What does that mean, that we are created in the image of Hashem? So some people answer, Hashem is about chesed, and a human being is about chesed, but that's not really a tzel. Tzel, but but him, sale tzel means a shadow. A shadow always takes the shape of the thing that it's shadowing. You can't get a square shadow from a round ball. You can't get a round shadow from a square box. A shadow means that it takes the shape of the thing that it's shadowing. How are we a shadow of God? How is a human being a shadow, the shape, the form of Hashem? And the answer is very, very beautiful. And the answer is really what this whole Shabbos is all about. This whole weekend is all about. The answer is that what is one of the unbelievable attributes of Hashem? We say it every day. Shema Yisrael. Listen, Klai Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God. Hashem Echad, there's a oneness of God that doesn't exist in the world. Hashem is one, there's not two creators, there's not a, a husband and a wife. Hashem is one, and that's it. Every human being, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Avraham, Moshe, Chaim, Sarah, Miriam, Leah, Echad. Every human being, there's only one of you. My mother says, Bor Hashem to that. <laughs> there's only one of you. There will never be another one of you. There never was another one of you. And there's only one of you. And if you're going to talk about Gilgul, the Gilgulim, people don't really understand. But the Sefer Gilgulim explains that... that Many girls come out to you and they're, and they're like, like, which Gilgal do you come back? How am I going to come back? Who are you married to? If you're married three times, four times, over 500 years, who are you coming back with? I said, the best-looking, richest guy. <laughs> the one that's, you know was the best, the one that was the nicest, of what you the biggest ring. Like, I don't know. But no, it's not true, because a Gilgal just means that you have a part of a neshama. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgal of Havel. Moshe Rabbeinu was also a Gilgal of Noach. But Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't Hevel, and Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't Noach. He had attributes, he had spiritual DNA part of those people, but it's not the same person. So your makeup of who you are and the different parts of Yeruch, your ruach, whatever the neshama, whatever the Kabbalistic meaning of it is, will never happen again. And never was. We are individuals. Everyone's fingerprint is different, even twins. You think they have nothing to do in Shammai, everyone put up your fingers, we're going to do swirls? Why is every human being's fingerprint different? Because they're a little Lokim. The shadow of God is that God is one, and you are one, and the only one, and you've got one chance, and that one chance is your life, and that puts a very big responsibility on every single person in the world, because you can't say, well, if I don't do it, that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. If I don't do it, Someone else will do it. Maybe someone else will not do it. Maybe someone else cannot do it as well as you. And why would you give that present that you have, which is life, which is potential, give that to someone else to do for you? And every person that wakes up every single day, Hashem says, that without you in my world today, my world can't exist, or you wouldn't wake up that day. So every single day that a person wakes up, They have a purpose. And many girls and many boys and many of the people that I work with feel like they have no purpose. And I'm like, if you had no purpose, you would not have woken up this morning. You would not be here anymore. Hashem doesn't make duplicates. And He also doesn't make things just to hang around and do nothing. So every single one of us, this is where Rabbi Akiva, who who didn't know Hashem until he was 40 years old and watched water make a hole in a rock, Rabbi Akiva realized that there is something special about every single person, and we know that his wife was the one that brought him close to Hashem, and he wrote in the Mishnah that every single person is, is created with Selim Malikim. So, I think that when, when I was told about the Shabbos, I thought that the most important point, and the rabbi really made that point, and we're going to have to keep making that point, is I, I meet a lot of people, people like Rabbi Wallerstein, my name is Chaim Friedman. I have to ask you a question. I get this question all the time. What do I do to become a Rabbi Wallerstein? I, I also want to have a ranch, and I want to have a school for kids off the derech, and I want to speak. So so tell me, give me the ingredients. How do I become a Rabbi Wallerstein? I say, you will never, ever become a Rabbi Wallerstein. Because there's only one Rabbi Wallerstein. No matter what is going to be good or bad, there's only one of me. You need to become you. We're not supposed to become Moshe Rabbeinu. We're not supposed to become the Chafetz Chaim. Hashem had a Chafetz Chaim. Hashem had a Moshe Rabbeinu. But right now, Hashem is having you. And you need to become you and your best. And the biggest problem with people not helping, because they're like, I don't do of I don't do of I don't do kirov either. It's not a profession. <laughs> not a business. It's not ten ways to... I'm very anti. I don't want to get into it, but they, they have certain organizations that, that they're, they're into making you a, prof, a kirov professional. If you're a kira professional, you're not in kirov. <laughs> because once it's a profession, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's, what is it? It's a profession. It's not... Kirov is not a profession. So there's nobody in this room... Who can say I don't do cure? Because the rabbi just setting an example. Just and we're gonna, I'm going to tell you a crazy story tonight. Just saying hello, just giving someone a smile, can do the most unbelievable cure in the world. What does it take to save the world? There's one person in the Torah, one person who saved the whole world. Adam didn't. Noah. Definitely didn't. Avraham Sidon was destroyed. Mitzrayim was destroyed in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. So there was no one in the Torah that ever had a chance to save the world except for one man. Yosef Atzalek. Yosef, by Rajme, it says it was never a rainbow. Yosef Atzalek saved the world. What did he do? How did he save the world? Was it because he was a big tzaddik? Was it because he went to the sea in Hashas? Was it because he went to Minyan three times a day? What did Yosef HaTzaddik do that ended up supporting and feeding the whole world? Let's take a look at Tutsukim in the Chumash. Again, the point I want to make is that there's no one in this room who cannot save the world and change the world because it's not a big deal. It's not very hard to do. What did Yosef Atzadik do? He's in a dungeon. He's in a very bad place. His brothers, even if they come looking for him, will not find him. They have no idea where he is. He's got his own problems. He's in prison and these two Egyptian... Ministers, one is a butcher, what is a, what I'm sorry, one is a, the, the baker, and one is the, uh, wine, the guy who serves the wine. Number one, everyone in this room, if you want to make any changes in this world, and you want to help somebody, you gotta stop looking at yourself. The first thing you have to do is says, says, by Yisah says You have to lift your eyes. What does that mean? Says, what does that mean you lift your eyes? You have to stop looking at yourself if you want to see everybody else. The person that gets in the way most of the time from helping anyone is you. So the first person you gotta remove is yourself. So he saw them. Vihine Zayafin. They were very anxious. They had they were very they had a lot of anxiety. So we ask them, Roim, Why do your faces look so bad today? That's all you ask. Ladies and gentlemen, is there anyone in this room? I can't see everyone on that side, but is there anyone in this room that can't ask that question? Is there anyone in this room that can't ask the question, Why do you look depressed? He didn't ask him any Rishonim. He didn't ask him any Echroinim. He didn't talk about Hashem. He didn't give him a shmooze. He asked him a simple little question. Guys, what's wrong? Why do you look depressed? And from that little question that everyone in this room could ask, I had a dream. I don't understand the dream. Let me hear the dream. I'll translate the dream. And the wine handler gets out and Paro has a dream and he can't sleep and he translates and that's how it comes out and he translates it and, and what happens from that I want to quote it, I, I didn't even mark it off but I want to quote it Well, Street, you know you're not, you, you, it's very nice, you ask someone you ask somebody, uh, you know why do you look depressed and yeah, it's a pretty cool cool story that from that question, but like where's the Frumkai here like he, he wasn't in the car of anybody. Like the guys who came to Shul, you know, and didn't go to the beach. Yeah, it's a big thing. I, I understand where the rabbit's coming from big time. So no, no, seriously, I understand. That in California and you're coming to Shul to Simchas Torah. it's very deep it's very deep what he said. It's Very deep what he said. So so you, you could say I don't I, okay, Rand walls it's very nice, it's a great story. Like, where's the frumkite? Listen to asking a non Jew why you look depressed. What frumkite, what kiddush Hashem can come from just asking a question? You're not, you're not a rabbi, you're not in Kirov, you, you're just asking a question to two goyim in your office. Guys, come on, you really look like you're having a bad day. What's going on? Listen to what happens. By Yarmah Parol to Yosef, Parol the biggest lowlife, says to Yosef, "Achrei Hodiya Elokim Oischa." As Kol Zois, after God, he admitted to God. God told you the translations of my dream. Ain Navan V'Chacham Kamaycha. I never met someone as smart as you. Ata Tio Beis V'Alpicha Yishakolami. My nation will, 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 will kiss your hands. Listen, listen to the Kiddush Hashem here. The Kiddush Hashem from asking why you look depressed. I don't know if ever in the history of Klai there was ever a bigger Kiddush Hashem from a question. No Muser, no stories, no talking about Hashem, no Ashkafah, no Kerov, no Shabbaton, Mitzrayim, Paro. Paro And Paro said to his nation, to his servants, Have you ever met a human being that has the Spirit of God like this Jewish boy? Do you understand the Kiddush Hashem of Paro stating this to the Egyptian nation? Have you ever met a person who has the Spirit of God where did this come from? From asking two Egyptians? You look depressed. al a Kama Vakama. Surely if you ask another Jewish person, a kid that's off the derech, or a kid that's on the derech, or another person in shul, who looks troubled, what's going on in your life? Just by asking, many times, they don't even want to get into the discussion with you, but they want to know that somebody asked fascinating that Rabbi Akiva wrote this Mishnah. I'd like to read you a story about Rabbi Akiva that people do not know from the Kavayasha. And then we'll end with a story called My Friend Kyle, which is a no ridiculous story also. It's not in the Kavayasha though. <laughs> There's no Kyle's in the Kavayasha. So the story goes like this. So Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva had a dream, and in the dream he saw a soul, and he saw that the angels, the, the angels that have whips of fire in Shemayim, if you didn't do the right thing when you were here, We're judging this soul, this Jewish soul, they were really beating him up with a lot of Yusurim. In the dream, Rabbi Akiva asked this soul, Do you have any children? So he said, yes, I have a son in this and this place. And he taught the son Kaddish. This is the short part, the short of the story. Now I want to tell you the long of the story. Listen to this. He says the following. I want to read it from inside. side. Rabbi Akiva met this soul. And he said, do you have any children? And he answered him, ben I don't know, the soul said to him, I don't know if I have a boy, a son, to say Kaddish. When I died, my wife was pregnant and I don't know if she gave birth to a boy. but even if she gave birth to a boy, he said this Russia, this soul that was a Russia, and I don't want to talk about souls, but it talks about the terrible avarice that he did, adultery, all kinds of stuff. She says even if I have a, if I had a child, and he was a boy, who's going to teach him to 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 say kaddish? Everybody hates me. I was like the Russia of my town. I did things with women. Uh, everybody hated me. So uh, no one's, uh, no one's going to teach him. Well, Esau Shaw, that moment, you're talking about Rabbi Akiva now, when he was Rabbi Akiva, and he had all his Talmudim. At that moment, Rabbi Akiva, lechapish Achrov, he said, I'm going to find out if this guy had a child, if he had a baby, and if he had a boy. Bashal al Benoy. And he asked, he went to the town where this guy was from, and he said, does this man, does he have a son? Well, Amalei Hare, yes, he does. But who are El? He's a he's, a, he's a, a guy like a guy. He didn't have a bris mila. He's an arul. He's a low life. The son's like the father. He's a low life. Miad not the Rabbi Kiva immediately. Rabbi Kiva took this boy Umalai, and he gave him a bris mila. Why ishevu the of umaloi And I spoke about this in um, in Baltimore to a bunch of rabbis because this is a very important very important lesson for teachers. And he gave him a bris mila. And he started to teach him. Rabbi Akiva, the god of the Rabbi Akiva of the door, is teaching this little kid, Oro, right, who now had a bris. He's teaching, he took him to be his, to teach him Torah so that the boy can one day say Kaddish and get his father out of hell, out of Gehenna. But what happens? Because of where he came from, no matter how much he taught him, he couldn't learn and he tried to teach this kid, and the kid had a plugged head. Maybe he was learning disabled, maybe he was ADD. doesn't say here exactly his (laughs) diagnosis, right? But he couldn't learn. (laughs) Yashavol of Rabbi Akiva Betanis Avarmayim. Rabbi Akiva fasted for him for 40 days, for this kid. I asked the Rabbi in, in Baltimore, I spoke to like 120 teachers, I said, did any of you ever fast 40 days for a kid who can't learn? Did any of you ever fast one day for a kid that can't learn, did anyone ever fast a half a day? For a kid that can't learn, oh, wow. Rabbi Akiva fasted forty days. Wait, we're not done. Listen to this. Yotzubashkol, a voice comes out of Shemayim. Hashem, says, Al Thomas For this kid, Russia ben Russia, you're fasting. That's what you're fasting for, Rabbi Akiva, for forty days. This kid. So he answered Hashem, I took responsibility on this kid. And I'm an arev, a signer on this kid's life. Mi'yad, immediately, Hashem opened this child's heart, the and he began to learn So all the people who think in this room that because you have ADHD or ADD or you have learning disabilities, or you don't have such a good uh, IQ, so to say, and we diagnosed you with all the letters. The medicine for all the, a, all the four-letter words, AD and A, B and AC is LOVE. LOVE answers everything. As you see, everybody a Cuba loves his child and he fasted for 40 days. And all of a sudden it wasn't medicine, and it wasn't therapy. It was fasting for a child, and Hashem said, you know what, you take responsibility, I'm a partner, I'll open his brain. And he sat and he learned, and he became the chazan in front of Shul, and he said, Baruchu, and he said, Kaddish, and they released his father from Gehenim. Immediately, the father came to Rabbi Akiva in a dream. But on my line he said to him: "Tenuach relax." Beganeiden, I am in Ganeiden. She you saved me." Is mashma from this story that the father had to come from heaven to tell Rabbi Akiva, "I'm okay. I'm in Ganeiden. Relax." Means that until that point, Rabbi Akiva didn't relax. Who was he doing this for? A sick, a good person who got sick. He was doing this for a Russia that was bio women that were that were married. A low life. He fasted forty days for a kid that was an RO. This story we don't hear about Rabbi Akiva, but he brings it down. And you may be asking me a big question after the shift today. How could Hashem say to Rabbi Akiva, for this kid you're fasting? Doesn't Hashem believe in every single kid? Is that something that God should say, like, this kid not? He's not in the olive class, he's in the base minus class? And the teretz brought down is, no, this was for us. That Hashem asked, for this you're going to fast? And Rebbe Kibbe said, yes, he wants us all to know that. Because we might have thought, oh, this Neshama was very holy. He thought he, he thought he was going to be a Galadar, so he fasted. No, Hashem said, no, this kid has no chance. For him you fasted? Rebbe Kibbe said, yes, that's why I fasted. And Hashem said, okay, even for this kid, I'll open up his head. It was just pure love. It was just pure caring about someone else. Could you fast? Am i telling you, you have to fast. I'm not telling you you have to fast. But I told this to a group of therapists. I said, you know, I know that therapists are not. I don't, I don't know how many therapists are in the room. I know tomorrow I'm talking with a the therapist. But, but therapists are not allowed to get involved with their client. You're not allowed to get personal. You know there are boundaries. That's the law. You can't even tell them what to do. If a kid asks, "What should I do?" You have to tell them, "What do you think you should do?" You have to teach them how to fish, not to them the fish. You have to teach them how to make good decisions. But it's not therapy. So I asked the therapist, I said, so so you can't react to children, you can't talk to your client personally. You're not allowed to. You're going to lose your license. He said, but did you ask them for their Hebrew name and their mother's Hebrew name so that since you're a therapist, you're seeing kids with People with problems, addictions, whatever the problems are, or marriages that aren't working, do you take the name of the husband and the wife if you're a marriage therapist, and before you go to sleep at night, daven for them? Do the rabbeim in their class go home when a kid is not doing well and get his mother's name and his name and daven for them? Rabbi Akiva fasted forty days. You can't ask anybody to fast forty days. When you see somebody in shul who has a kid off the derech, and you're like, you're coming home like, wow, this guy, nebuch, how do you say it in how do you say it in uh, in, in uh, Syrian? Hazik. hazik, hazik, Look at this kid, is off the derech. Look at her, she has three piercings in her nose, and she's not dressed. Oh yeah, yeah, that poor family. Did you find out her name? Did you find out her mother's name Were you walking around? Khazit, oh nebuch. Did you ask? Did you take that name? Is it in your sitter with your kids? Who you need Shiduchim for? Look what Rabbi Akiva did. He was so busy, he was running a yeshiva. At one point with 24,000 Talmudim. And he's worried right about some guy who's sitting in him because he was a Mazzuja for the low life? And the answer is yes. And when a kid could not learn Tyra, he fasted for 40 days. Brings me to my last story, La Havgal because it's not about a Jewish story. But this story, when I read it, rocked me. And I'm going to close with this. It's a story about a person's impact on others. It's actually from a Jewish book. It's a book that they give out in Florida, and I just happened to have been reading through it. He says the following story, and I'll read it to you very fast. One day when I was a freshman, the, the guy was writing it. In high school, I saw a kid from my class walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. I thought to myself, why would anyone bring home all his books on a Friday? He really must be a nerd. I had quite a weekend planned parties and a football game with friends, so I shrugged my shoulders and went on. As I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running towards him. They ran to him, knocking all his books out of his arms, tripping him so he landed in the dirt. His glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about ten feet away from him. So this kid was a Nebuchadnezzar nerd. He looked up, and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out to him, so I jogged over to him, and as he crawled around looking for his glasses, I saw a tear in his eye. As I handed him his glasses, I said, Those other guys that did this to you, they're jerks. They really should, they really should get real lives. He looked at me and said, Hey, thanks. There was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived right near me. So I asked, why, I never, why didn't I ever see you before? He said he had gone to private school before now. I would, have never hung out. I would have never hung out with a private school before. So this guy is like the football player. He's the big shot. And this guy is the nebuch, the nerd. We talked all the way home, and I helped carry his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with me and my friends. He said, yes, we hung out all weekend. And the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him, and my friends did as well. Monday morning came, and there was Kyle with a huge stack of books again. I stopped him and said, you're really going to build some serious muscles with this pile of books every day. He just laughed and handed me half the books. Friday, he was taking the books home. Monday, he's taking the books back to school. Over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. When we were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided to go to Georgetown, and I went to Duke. I knew that we would always be friends, and and the miles between us would never be a problem. He was going to be a doctor, and I was going for business on a football scholarship. Here's the end of the story. Kyle was valedictorian of our class. He was a smart nerd. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare a speech for graduation. I was so glad it wasn't me having to get up there and speak, like me. Graduation day, I saw Kyle. He looked great. He was one of those guys that really found themselves during high school. He filled out and actually looked good in glasses. He looked great. He had more dates than me, and all the girls loved him. Sometimes I was jealous. Today was one of those days. I could see that he was nervous about his speech. So I smacked him on the back and said, Hey, big guy, you'll be great. He looked at me one of those looks and said, Thanks. So now Kyle gets up to speak. At his graduation, he's valedictorian. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began, Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through your tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I am here to tell you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give him. I'm going to tell you a story. This is Kyle speaking. I just looked at my friend with disbelief, that's the other guy, as he told the story of the first day we met. He had planned to kill himself over the weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker on Friday so his mom wouldn't have to do it later after he committed suicide and he was carrying his books home. He looked hard at me in the middle of this valedictorian speech and gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. My, fri- my friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard the gas go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told all of us about his weakest moment. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling, that same grateful smile. Not until that moment that I realized it's death. It's death, it's deepness. He was going home to kill himself, and he didn't want his mother to go get his books. And this guy, after this kid was bullied, bent down, gave him his glasses, and said, nice to meet you. It's not a story of Yosef. It's not a story of saving the world. It's a story of saving someone else. There's no such thing as a professional in this, everybody. You don't have to be a speaker. You don't have to be a Kirib maker. You could be a man. You could be a lady. You could be 14. You could be 40. You could be 80. As long as you're on this world... A good word and smile is everything. So I want to give everyone a bracha. You should never be a professional person in Chesed. <laughs> it should never be a business. It shouldn't even be done with a cheshmer. It should be dvoram ha alev. This story of Rabbi Akiva most people don't know. You ask about who Rabbi Akiva was. Rabbi Akiva had the biggest hamidim. Rabbi Akiva gave his, nef- gave his soul, died, the kiddush Hashem. But Rabbi Akiva was also the greatest Baal, Baal Chesed in the world. He didn't do it for a good... He was telling the story. I was listening to the Rabbi's story and I was thinking to myself, I don't know, Rabbi. People are going to walk away and say, mm-hmm. but they were Mechal Shabbos and how could you... You know, say Yishklayah for driving to shul. Maybe you shouldn't have said it. Maybe you should not have said it. But you see, from Rabbi Akiva, that when it comes to a non from person, this, was, this wasn't that a non from person. If you read the story, this was a guy that did every avera. He's sitting in Gehenna. He's getting what he's supposed to get. And Rabbi Akiva is fasting forty days, so his kids should say Kaddish, so he should get out of Gehenna. The, the Rabbi's story is a good story. <laughs> because this guy was not, he drove to show, but he wasn't doing no other layers. Don't judge another Jew. Don't judge another Jew. You be there for them. You bring them to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And, and you don't have to give them a speech about God. Eh, <laughs> nava There's no one in the world that's an Isha Loi Kim like Yosef came out of the mouth of Paro. Because he asked somebody, how you doing? Thank you. Good night.